Am I on? Yes. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Paul, for your kind words. And uh, Paul and I go back a long, long ways. And um, uh, he has spoken into my life as much as I has as I have his. And. Uh, uh, I'm grateful to be here. I want to thank your pastor for allowing me this incredible opportunity. And uh, I hope that uh, you hear what God has to say to you. I don't know if you noticed or not, but I have a sword with me. This is actually a sword. It was made as a weapon. It was made to shed blood. It was made to protect you from your enemies. Uh, I have it. It was a gift to me from some people and it's to remind me to preach the word of God but also is to remind me that the scriptures this book as Ephesians 6, 6 17 says take the word of uh, take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and uh, this just reminds me but I want you to know something in my house it is not a weapon it's a decoration. Like I said, it's to remind me of truths and stuff. It has never shed blood. It will probably never shed blood. It, it, it's a decoration. I hope it never sheds blood. It is a decoration. Now, I think the real problem in our culture is, ladies and gentlemen, we also have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And instead of being a weapon to protect us from Satan and evil, it has become a decoration. We have it on our coffee tables. I tell you what, we even carry it sometimes um, in our hands as a decoration when we go to church. We have it on our phones. But really, it's not a weapon, though... God gave it to us as a weapon, and he told us it is a weapon. It's really become, like my sword, simply a decoration. Now, I want to talk to you today, and I know this is the last Sunday of 2017, and people are thinking about resolutions and so forth. I don't want to talk about resolutions. Um, uh, nothing against them, but I just don't. I want to talk about commitment. I want to talk about making a commitment to changing your attitude from this as a decoration to a weapon. I want to show you how to do it or tell you how to do it and show you. But before I do that, I, I want you to know that sometimes I have people come into my office, usually college students, and I was pastor of the same church for 31 years, so I saw some grow up, and uh, they'd come into me and say, <clears throat> Brother Paul, I, I no longer believe the Scriptures. And I don't know what they want me to do, but I, ask, I make one statement, and I ask them two questions. The statement is simply this, I think you're confused. The questions are this, <clears throat> what part of the Bible don't you believe? Surely, you're smart enough to know that uh, there's some historical facts in the Bible that you cannot deny. Jesus really did live. Now, you may can deny some of it, but what's the part you believe and what's the part you no longer believe? And I would guess it's probably the part about authority that you don't believe. Second question is, okay, if you no longer have the Scripture as the foundation of your life, what have you replaced it with? 
Because either the scripture will be the foundation of your life or something else will. What is it? And uh, you need to know that. And you need to give testimony. Now, I no longer believe the Bible, but I, I believe uh, the Harry Potter series or whatever. And whatever you believe in is about as foolish as that. So I want to just give you real quickly at the beginning some statements from people who believe the Bible and people who don't. And I just want to validate to you that this is God's word. It is truth. It is alive. And it is the sword of the spirit, not a decoration for our lives. Sir Walter Scott, a famous British author and poet, was also a committed Christian. On his deathbed, he said to his secretary, bring me the book. And she thought of a thousands of books in Scott's library and inquired, Dr. Scott, which book? The book, he replied, the Bible, the only book for a dying man. Now I would add, all of us who are committed Christians would have to add that the Bible is not just the only book for a dying man, it's the most important book for a living man or a woman. The reason being... It is the word of God. It was John Cumming who wrote, The empire of Caesar is gone. The legions of Rome are rotten in the dust. The avalanches that Napoleon hurled upon Egypt have melted away. The pride of the pharaohs has fallen. Tyre is but a rock for bleaching fishermen's nets. Sidon has scarcely left a wreck behind. But the word of God still survives. All those who have threatened to extinguish it have only added to it. And it proves every day how transient is the noblest monument that man can build and how enduring is the least word that God has spoken. Bernard Ram in his book Protestant Christian Evidences adds this thought, a thousand times over, the death knell of the Bible has been sounded, the funeral procession formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone, and the committal read. But somehow, the corpse never stays put. Voltaire, the French philosopher, declared that by the time of his death, or surely by 100 years after his death, the Bible, along with Christianity, would be swept from existence and pass into history like ancient relics. Voltaire died in 1778. The scriptures are still here. And Christianity is still impacting the world. Thomas Paine was cut from the same piece of cloth. He was an English philosopher who lived in America for a while, but moved to Paris to do his best work. And it was a two-part work called The Age of Reason. He claimed on one occasion that he went through the Old Testament like a man would go through a forest, felling trees with an axe. He openly announced that he had gone through and felled the tall trees in the forest. That was the Hebrew scriptures. And though they might be stuck in the soil, they would never grow. Poor Tom, he died in 1809. And the Bible lives on. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is alive and active. 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we can't believe in it any longer if we don't. Because when you read it, it will bring judgment. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is alive and active. God's word lives because it is the word of the living God. God has chosen to pour his life into his word. John 6, 43 says, The words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. If you want life, read this book. God's word lives because it gives life. Peter says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That's 1 Peter 1.23. You see, when you first encounter the word of God, it brings life to you and sustains that spiritual life within you. God's word has the incredible living ability. It wrestles, smites, comforts, smiles, weeps, sings, and whispers. It lives. God's word lives because it has inherent energy. When Jesus was arrested, a word from him forced his adversaries to the ground. Christ will win his final victory over all the opposition with his word. He will speak. And that's all he will need. So I want to talk to you today with an incredible resource like that, with this sword of the Spirit, which will, which will defend us from the evil one. How do we take it from being just a decoration in our life to a weapon we can use against the forces of evil? Well, there's a simple illustration. It's called the hand illustration. And there are five things you can do <clears throat> to change this from a, from a decoration to a weapon. The first one is you can hear it. The first finger is hearing. And uh, if you hear the Word of God, which you're doing right now, you can get a one-finger grip on the Word of God, which does not give you real ability to wield the sword. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing the word from godly men and women provide us insight into our other study of scripture as well as stimulating our own appetites for the word. Now I want to pause here just a minute and I want to talk to you about the learning pyramid. Now if you get on the internet... Don't do it right now on your phone. Go to the Peak Performance Center's Learning Pyramid. You can find a five-page article on what I'm going to kind of summarize for you. It has a pyramid, which is the hierarchy of how much you retain. Now, it's, it's subjective and different things deal. But approximately, if you hear something, you're going to remember 5% of it. That's why you take notes. That's why in school you take notes. Now, let's think about that. 
If you come to church and you hear the word of God, you're going to remember 5% of it. So let's say you went to church the last Sunday of 2016. And you think back over that service, what did you hear? Well, you could remember up to 5 or 6% of what you heard last year. Now, here's what I know today. You're going to remember about 5% of the things I say. Now, probably that 5% will simply be he had a sword. You know, I've worked hard on this sermon and I'm coming. What you're going to walk out with, the guy put a, had a sword. How weird is that? 5%. That's not very much. Now, if you have a sword, a visual in your hearing, or something on the screens or something, you could go up to maybe 8%. If you have a discussion afterwards, like if we broke up here and went to small groups, it'd go up to 50%. But if you just hear it, you have a one-finger grip, and that is not enough. So the next finger is reading. Reading the Scripture. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, Revelation, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There is a promise that comes with Revelation that if you read it, you will be blessed. Now, we, we have a hard time believing that verse. Not many of us read Revelation every year, but some do. But reading is, is the next finger. You can get a two-finger grip on the Word of God as a sword of the Spirit. Now, reading gives us an overall view of the Bible, and um, uh, it, it, it gives us the broad picture. Now, according to the Learning Pyramid from the Peak Performance Center, if you read this book, you're going to retain, how much do you think? 10%. We usually retain 10% of what we read. Now that's, if you're one of those who have photographic memory and so forth, of course, it doesn't apply. But most of us will remember 10% of what we read. Now the third finger, the third finger is to study, studying the scriptures. In Acts 17, 11, the Bible says this, the people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. They studied the Bible and they were noble and they studied the Bible to make sure what they were hearing is truth. Now you're listening to me today and you're hearing it you may read the passage that we read from which I get the, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But then you have a responsibility to go to the Scriptures and study it to see if what I'm telling you is true. You can't believe what everybody says. You can't believe uh, what somebody says just because they're up here. 
You have the responsibility before God in the uh, power of the Holy Spirit to study to see if what I'm telling you or what anybody else in the world tells you is truth concerning Scripture because it is alive and it's a matter of life and living. And it's really, really important. Now, it was a Mother's Day. And I just want to tell you that Mother's Days are really hard. You got to walk a fine line. Uh, one, one Mother's Day, I was a young pastor, and I preached a sermon called The Reality About Mothers. I thought I had lost my job. <laughs> Do you know there are some bad mothers? Well, it was Mother's Day, and I really wanted to have a really good service that we didn't have. You know, you say the same things. You got to, you know, you know what, what can we really do for Mother's Day? So I decided, you will know that I am insane now, to interview my children and ask them three questions. In the platform, our church is full, two services, and we're going to ask our children three questions. Number one, what did we do right as parents? Number two, what we did wrong as parents. And number three, what we could have done better. And this, they were not rehearsed. They could answer anything they want to. And, uh, you know, I was naive. I thought this is going to go well. And so we got them up there, and they were there, and Lynn and I were on this side, and they were in chairs there, and the church is there. And uh, so we asked the question, what we did right. And they, they shared some, some things we did right. There were some things we did right. And uh, I wasn't surprised by anything they said. Because uh, I, I lived it. I mean, I knew what we did right. <laughs> then they said what we did wrong. Now, I thought what we did right would last about 30 minutes, and what we did wrong would last about five minutes. My, my timing was off a little. But anyway, they told us what we did wrong. And mostly it was what I did wrong. And like they'd say, Dad, uh, you really sometimes lose your temper. Really? I don't remember. Uh, maybe sometimes I lose my temper. And then they'd go on and they'd, they told us what we did wrong. And there were some things we did wrong. But really, it wasn't a surprise. Wouldn't surprise at all. You know, if you live in the presence of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, He will convict you of what you do wrong, won't He? That didn't surprise me. What surprised me was the next question. What do you wish we would have done better? Here's what my, my, my children said, Misty, Stephanie, and Zach. They said, we wish you would have taught us the scripture better. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I spent my life studying the scripture since I was 16 years old. <clears throat> I study it, I've memorized it, I have preached it. And it seems that I was teaching and preaching it to others and uh, what my kids wanted was for me to teach them better. 
Now, I can still remember, parents, the family devotion. How many of you remember those? Where you dragged your kids in, tied them in a chair, and presented them the living sword of the Spirit and bored them to tears. That's not what they were talking about. What they were talking about was, if this book is alive, Dad, teach us in everyday life how it applies. In the daily life that we live together as a family, make it applicable. Have teaching moments. Show when a principle of Scripture is, is upheld and announced. Live it. Help us see how the Scriptures is, is a book, a weapon. It's something that we can base our lives on. Well, that made me recommit myself to helping my grandchildren and my children and I'll, I'll never forget, even my kids still call me and say, Dad, here it is again, but uh, I have a friend going through this. What does the Bible say about that? See, I wish I would have taught them better. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to get into the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and teach you things that you, ha you have not heard from other people. You see, most of the Bible study we do, and we have these wonderful series by Beth Moore and others, it's really just hearing. You're, you're really just hearing what, they, what the Holy Spirit gave them. I want to tell you something. You have the, uh, the privilege of going into the presence of God and the Holy Spirit and have Him teach you. You directly. It will, it will energize you. It will empower you. It will change your life. I challenge you in 2018, make it a commitment. I am going to hear, read, but more than that, study the Word of God. Now, if you study it, you're going to get 30 to 50% especially if you have a group discussion and you share it. Now, let me tell you something. If you study it and then teach it, you know how much you're going to remember? 90%. 90%. That's why Paul told Timothy, that which you've heard among me, among many men, teach thou to other faithful men. Because you retain it. The fourth finger is to memorize God's Word. If you get a four-finger grip, you have a pretty good grip, but you still can't wield it as a weapon. But memorizing God's Word is very important. Let me ask you a question. How many of you really have a desire in your heart that your children and your grandchildren... Be pure. And when I mean pure, I'm using it as undiluted. Have a heart that's singly focused on God. How many of you want your children to have that undivided, pure heart? Well, I'm going to tell you how it can happen. Psalm 119, 9-11 says this, How can a young person remain pure? Undivided. 
Well, that has to do with morality, uh, sexual issues, the whole thing. How can they be undivided and follow God and be pure? Only by living according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have pursued you with my whole heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. It's an incredible thing, ladies and gentlemen. But when you put God's word into your heart, that's the avenue to purity, to single-mindedness, to commitment, to walking with God. When I was a kid, we went to something called Vacation Bible School. You still have Vacation Bible School here, I'm sure. And we, we'd go to Vacation Bible School. And they had a thing back then that bribery wasn't wrong. And you would bribe kids to memorize scripture with dessert, with cookies. So if you came to Bible school on Monday and you had a verse memorized, you got a cookie. Now, I would do anything. I'd have memorized Romans for a cookie. And so they said, okay, we're going to have a, uh, have a cookie. So I memorized John eleven thirty five. Anybody know that verse? Jesus wept. Went into Bible school, said Jesus wept, cookie. <laughs> Grabbed that sucker. You can tell I like cookies. Next day. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, give me my cookie. That's in the Hebrew. And we'd memorize verses to get things. I heard of a man who put, he wanted to give his grandchildren $100 for Christmas, so he put five 20s in the Bible with a verse. Well, Psalm 119, 911 is one of them. He underlined it, and he said, you can have that 20 when you quote that verse to your parents. <laughs> How long do you think it took them to memorize those five verses? By the end of Christmas Day. But they had five verses. Proverbs 3, 4, and 5, and some great passages. I don't know where we decided it wasn't important for children to memorize scripture, but we need to go back. And we need to make that a, a focal point. Because when you hide God's word in your heart, it's the avenue to purity, to single-mindedness, to wholeness. And I know, I, I struggle with scripture memory just like you do, and I'm on again, off again. But I tell you what, one of the best things I've ever done is to memorize scripture. You see, Satan's out to destroy us. And when you memorize scripture, you always have it readily available for help. What did Jesus use when he was tempted by Satan? Scriptures that were in his heart. Also, you can also answer the problems of others. Now, the final, final finger is the thumb. Now, the thumb works in connection with the little finger and all the others. It really solidifies your grip. You can wield a sword with that grip, with a five-finger grip. You can use it as a weapon. You can wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with a five-fingered grip. And that is 
meditation slash application. Application. A meditation is the thumb of the word hand, for it is used in conjunction with each of the others. And only as we meditate on God's word, thinking of its meaning and application to our lives, will we discover it transforming our lives. You see, ladies and gentlemen, my goal here today, and we're, we're gonna, I'm going to give an invitation for you to commit to something. My goal is not for you to commit to knowing that you must read, hear, study, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God. That's not my goal. I don't care if you can recite those. What do you think my goal is? That you begin to read it if you have it. That you begin to hear it if you have it. That you begin to study it if you're not. That you begin to memorize it if you're not. And that you begin to meditate and apply it. Ladies and gentlemen, it, it, it is useless to hear the Word of God and not meditate and apply it. If you don't apply it, what difference does it make? And the incredible thing is if you memorize and meditate, the, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your heart uh, when you need it most. Uh, this is a, kind of a silly little thing, but I, I just want to share with you. Uh, we used to live in Borger, Texas. I was pastor at the First Baptist Church, Borger, Texas. How many of you have ever been there? Yeah. Tell you what, that's, a, that's the vacation spot of the world, <laughs> Borger, Texas. We loved it. At Borger, Texas, there's a pizza place called Mr. Gaddy's. Mr. Gaddy's, one Halloween, decided that if your children would come dressed up in a Halloween costume, you would get free pizza. That's in the poor days, and we wanted free pizza. We were going to Mr. Gaddy's to get free pizza. So we asked our, our daughters, who were uh, older children, to put on uni uh, uniforms, uh, costumes, to get the free pizza. Well, to, to say they didn't want to would be an understatement. It was kicking and screaming and dragging them to the car. They didn't want to. They were complaining the whole time. Okay, and I was telling them, we're going to get the free pizza. Now, we can do it with the cast or without the cast, but we're going to do it. So they get in the car, and they're, they're giving me trouble. And, and, and back then, it was okay. You did this action. You went, what down. You, you don't know what you're hitting. You could, have, you could have killed one of them, but it didn't matter. Back then, it was legal to kill your children. No, it wasn't really. I'm just kidding. I was trying to smack them one. Every kid needs smacked every now and then. And when I was doing that, I, was, I wasn't paying attention. I cut a guy off. Man, he got angry. He was mad, dude. And he was chasing me and doing other things that we're not going to talk about. And he followed me to Mr. Gaddy's. And I pulled into Mr. Gaddy's. When I did, I, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me a verse that I memorized long time ago in Bible school, and it was simply this verse, the soft answer turns away wrath. Do you guys believe that? Scripture. So I thought, okay, Lord. So 
I pull in the park and he pulls in behind me. He jumps out of his car. And uh, for just a second, I had some doubt of, and I could see me laying in the parking lot beaten to death. But I jumped out of my car, turned to him and said, sir, I am so sorry. I was wrong. I cut you off. I endangered you. That is so wrong. Would you forgive me? And he looked at me and he said, no problem. And he headed towards his car and then he whispered back, you need to drive better. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not saying I did the Bible the whole time, but the soft answer turns away wrath. That's what the Bible says. And the reason it was available to me is because I'd memorized it in Bible school. Maybe even for a cookie, who knows? Ladies and gentlemen, God didn't leave us this book to put on our coffee table or to carry to church. He gave it to us as a weapon to defend ourselves against the onslaughts of Satan. Don't send your children out weaponless against him. Don't go out yourself. Make a commitment for 2018 that you're going to read the Word of God. You're going to hear it. You're going to study it, memorize it, and meditate on it. See, Lord, you see, that's the way the Lord will use you incredibly in 2018. And when you get to the last Sunday of 2018 and you look back, one of the things you want to know is, number one, God used me. My, wife, my life wasn't wasted. God used me in the life of others. And secondly, that I know God more today than I did on the last Sunday of 2017. And you will do that if you make the Word of God into a weapon and the center of some of your activity. As you hear it, read it, study it, memorize it, and apply it. You will have a firm grip on the Word of God. Would you pray with me, please? Wait a minute, don't pray with me. I forgot to say one thing. One of the ways you enhance your prayer is by memorizing God's Word. Meditating on it. You see, meditation and memorization focuses our minds on what we pray. And I just want to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and then we'll go so you'll understand what I'm saying. Now remember, he, he was the prince of pastors, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, and he writes for another century, so you'll have to listen carefully. Do we not miss very much of the sweetness and efficacy of, of prayer by the lack of meditation? We lose the sweetness and uh, the uh, results of prayer because we don't meditate, he says. We don't, the lack of meditation before it and of hopeful expectation after it. We too often rush into the presence of God without forethought or humility. We should be careful to keep the stream of meditation always running, for this is the true water 
that drives the mill of prayer. What Spurgeon is saying is, as we meditate on God's word, we, that's listening to God. Then we listen to God and we come in prayer and talk with him about what we, he's talking to us. That's called dialogue. Most of prayer is monologue, us just talking to God. That's why prayer is ineffective. That's why we struggle with it. Charles Spurgeon says, Our souls are not nourished merely by listening a while to this and then to that and then to the other part of divine truth. Hearing, reading, marking, learning all require inwardly digesting to complete their usefulness. And the inward digesting of the truth lies for the most part in meditation and application upon it. If you want to empower your prayer life, meditate and apply God's word. Now, would you pray with me, please? Father, we open up our hearts to you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts were pleasing in your sight. Lord, take this word that's alive and powerful and energetic, and Lord, drive it into the hearts of these, your precious people. And Lord, may we, all of us in this room in the year 2018, take more seriously our need for intake of the Word of God. The living Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. Amen. As is custom, when Jesus Christ taught, he always asked people to respond. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to respond, every one of you. I ask you to respond to this. Make a commitment to really start the process of taking this from a decoration to a weapon. If, 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 you, if you're not consistent in hearing it, become consistent. Or reading it or studying it. Do whatever it takes. And I'm going to ask you not to make a resolution. I want you to make a commitment to God and say, God, with your help, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am going to make the Word of God a more important part of my life this year. That's one of the decisions you can make. And then you can make any other decision that the Lord has laid on your heart. You can come and pray. Do whatever you need to do. Whatever God's Spirit has told you to do, it's appropriate. And so we're going to have an invitation hymn, and we're going to ask you to come, and your leaders will be here at the front to pray with you, to minister to you, to help you, maybe even to hold you accountable for your commitment. Whatever it is, as we stand, you come and obey God if he's told you to. Stand with me, please.